0: For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today,
1: I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Tonight's guest is a Ringo Award nominated comic book writer. She's also an editor and letterer and has worked for Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, DC, just to name a few. Please welcome the uncanny Erica Schultz to Epic Realms. How are you doing?
2: You said uncanny as if you were going to say the unkind. And I was like, oh, he's, good. he's already going to set it up. Great.
1: Un- un- I, mean, I-, I meant to say uncanny but it just kind of came out as a word jumble because I've got a cough drop in my mouth because I've been still fighting this aftermath of COVID. It's not, it's not fun. Yeah. It's two, it's... two months afterwards and I'm still coughing like a, like there's something wrong with, well, there is something wrong with me, but
2: uh, there's something wrong with everybody. I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean, if you, if you get on any social media, you will find that out.
1: That is true. That is very, yes. very much true. I have a question. So everybody, has the story of getting into the comic book industry and no two stories are alike. So I'm kind of curious, how did you get into the business of comic books? How, how did that kind of happen? Cause I can't, I can't imagine, um, you and I are about the same age and I kind of have an idea of what the industry has been like over the course of the few years. So I'm guessing you have a unique tale to tell.
2: Well, I've, I've abridged this story so okay. much um that people have like accused me of like lying because i've abridged it because in the beginning i would tell the entire long story and it like started with a car accident and everything um and i just kind of abridged it to like i was working in a uh you know i got laid off like everybody else in 2008 i was working in an art studio that happened to also do comics
3: okay
2: and uh I partnered up with one of the other artists there and um, wrote some original stories. One of them happened to be uh, a series called M3 and Vicente Alcazar and I uh, put out uh, 12 issues over about three and a half, four year period on our own. Um, and as a writer, you kind of have to make a comic in order for it to be your portfolio piece. Whereas uh, artists can show up with portfolios uh, mm. and just, you know, within, two to three page turns, and edit, a good editor is going to know whether or not they want to hire you. Whereas as a writer, you have to either pay for an artist or partner with an artist or whatever. Um, and so M3 became my portfolio piece, and I would give it to editors and give it to other pros and stuff like that. And then um, it, it takes a while. I mean, I've been doing this since 2008. And um, you know, I'm, I'm a 14-year overnight success, almost 15-year overnight success. Um, so, you know, little by little, you would get sort of, you know, I did a lot of work for Dynamite in around like 2014, 2015. Um, that helped a lot too. Um, in 2016, I was, uh, DC was starting up what they called their new talent uh, showcase or their new, their talent development workshop. Okay. Um, but I was part of the pilot program for that. So um, when they, when they actually you know rolled it out they had people apply for it in the pilot program they came to us and actually asked us if we wanted to be a part of it so that was cool um i was able to write a hot girl short um sunny lou drew it which was great uh and i met a lot of people through that Vita ayala chris bella joel jones Meredith finch um mike morici was part of it um And, you know, it, you just little by little, it's, you know, you try to add more snow to the snowball as you, you know, keep working on it. And, um, and something that, that always stuck with me is that you're, you're never working on the job that you're working on. You're always working toward the next, especially with me, because I am a full-time freelancer. I know a lot of people that work in comics, they have a day job, which is great. I mean, I had a day job for years, um, while I was doing comics, uh, But now I'm a full time freelancer, so I'm always working toward the next job because, you know, bills come in every month. So.
1: Did you collect comics when you were younger?
2: Um, I didn't collect them. I would just steal what my brother had. So I have an older brother and, you know, he was always bringing home uh, at the time. It was, you know, Claremont was writing X-Men and, you know, whether it was John Byrne or Jim Lee or Terry Austin or Dave Cockrum or whoever the artist, you know, was partnered with him. And I know I said that non chronologically. I'm just waiting for the comments, um, anticipating.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, but um,
1: I, I think we'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: so I uh, so I would just you know read what he brought home pretty much, and and it was mostly X Men, some Batman, uh, a little bit of Spidey here and there. Um, okay. So that was really you know what what I was sort of growing up with, and then X Men '92 in. You know they came out with a cartoon in ninety two um it was great because it was taking i mean they obviously sort of sanitized a lot of a lot of the work, but it was taking those stories and putting an actual voice to it yeah. and one thing I always thought was interesting was that when the Justice League cartoon show came out in two thousand two thousand one um we had already had you know Batman the animated series Superman the animated series. But we had these other characters that you now had a voice to. You had Jon Stewart. You had Chayera Hall. uh, You had Flash and everything. And you now had this voice. So I I found that when I was reading comics, I was like hearing those voices. So, you know, when I would go back to X-Men, I would be hearing the voices from, you know, the X-Men, the animated series. Because it it gave you, you know, it wasn't like hearing your own voice as you're reading it. You now have a voice to sort of apply to it, which I thought was always kind of cool.
1: And even kind of an attitude, depending on the character, because even in voice acting, yeah. there's character that comes through in the way the voice, the voice does things.
2: Yeah. Into, I mean, intonation, when you're reading a, a balloon, even if it's got the whether it has the italics, uh, uh, the italicized text or the bolded text, intonation is, is everything. Um, and especially in terms of when you're when you're creating a comic and, you know, whether you're drawing it or you're the writer looking at the art. Um, the acting on the face, the the body language, the attitude of the the character, even a, in a silent panel, um, really speaks volumes. Um, so hearing, uh, I mean, obviously it wasn't one to one dialogue from the comic to right. the te- you know to the cartoon, um, but hearing some of the very similar uh, back and forth, some of the similar um, exchanges between characters. Um, you could feel sort of the emotional beats. You could also, you know, understand the personality of the character, the attitude, how they would react in a situation like this. So you sort of like start filling in the blanks, you know?
1: Yeah. As an editor and letterer, how much did you know before coming into the comic book industry about how you had to arrange that kind of stuff? Because you were talking about, you know, the emphasis on the voice and working with the picture and, and stuff like that.
2: Um, I when I was working at a studio, I was basically just doing background art. I was, um, I was inking, I was doing background art. I was doing digital cleanups. I was doing color assists and things like that. Um, I basically taught myself lettering because the studio needed a letterer because they wanted to start up doing their own comics again. Um, so I basically taught, you know, I got a lettering template from one of the letterers who had done a book that uh uh they had previously put out. And I just started really, you know, working on it and and trying to break it down and understand the mechanics of a sort of uh, reverse engineer. Yeah. Um, and when it came to the writing, I mean, I'd always written when I was younger, and it was just a matter of looking at the formatting looking at the pacing of a story you know when you pace a story for a film or you pace a story for a tv show or you pace a story for a novel it's very different than doing a comic because especially uh periodical especially monthly because you get a small amount of pages i mean your average monthly comic is 20 to 24 pages
3: yeah
2: whereas a novel can be you know i think if it's under 150, it's considered a novella, but you know, and you know, 150 pages to tell a whole story, whereas most story arcs and comics are gonna be hundred pages. Yeah. So so the art is obviously doing a lot of work, um, because in novels you're talking about so-and-so thought this and, yeah. and everything like that. But um it's a matter of like trying to pace the story. Uh, how much information do you give the reader at one time? Um what bits of information you give the reader at that particular time and how the story unfolds unfolds itself. I was on a panel at uh, at a convention about six, seven years ago, and I was the only comic book uh, creator on the panel. Everyone else was novelists. And uh, a lot of them kind of looked down their nose at me which I thought was kind of funny because I had no idea who any of them were, whoever right. any of them were. Right. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not illiterate, but you would think I am because I don't read nearly as much as I should, I guess. Uh, which is strange because walk- so many of
1: them go, I really wish my book was adapted to a comic. You'd think.
2: Well <laughs> You know, I mean, come on. So I walked in... And, and it was a very large panel. I mean, I, I like to be on a panel with, like, five people, including the moderator. And this ha- panel had, like, seven panelists and a moderator. Like, it was, it was a stacked panel. And we go, and I go up, and, you know, the three or four steps next to the stage, and I'm introducing myself. And the, you can tell that they're, like, trying to place where my name, where they may or may not have heard my name. I, I... I made no bones about it. I don't know who any of y'all people are. Um, so I was just like, hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And the room was packed. So I was like, these people must be pretty up there. If, you know, this, you, you have a room of, I don't know. It was probably six, you know, five, 600 people. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, this are not here to see me. Um, so I go to sit down next to the, I go all the way to the one side of the panel. I go to sit down and uh, the guy who I would sit next to goes, no, 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 this seat is reserved. And I said, okay, so I'm sitting at literally the last chair on the panel. Okay. And there's, then there's a space and then there's all these authors and then there's the moderator. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, this is, I don't know if i can curse
1: yeah go for it go for it
2: but this i was like this is bullshit (laughs) yeah you know i'm like like come on like i'll wipe my ass with your novels you people (laughs) what i found what i found out was that there was this and again another person i had no clue who they were but there was this big shot like who i would consider like a claremont like Alan Moore kind of big shot character, you know, person who comes in like five minutes late. And as he walks down the aisle, people are getting up and they are clapping and they are freaking out. And I'm like, Oh, so this is why there's five, 600 people in this room because of this dude. Okay. So he comes in and everybody at the table gets up and they're all like shaking his hand and being like, ah, they're all like fanboying and fangirling out from this dude. Still no clue who this dude is okay and he sits down next to me because you know there's That's, this void yeah and he and he was very polite hi it's nice to meet you hi how's it going and i'm like and i kind of whisper i was like i don't think i'm supposed to be here and he's like eh, it's fine to worry so he starts talking and everybody on the panel is wrapped with the, every word that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> okay. And they're all turned, you know, it's all profile shots. <laughs> you know, and because you know how they all, they they take all the the photos, the press photos yeah. from the back, but it's all profile shots and this one guy. <laughs> and then me looking like, I don't even know why I'm here. um, And somebody, and then it was Q&A time. And I barely spoke because anytime I I did the, to speak, someone else would talk over me yeah and you know i didn't want to be that jerk and be like i'm sorry could you shut the hell up for a moment i have something to say i didn't want to do that. yeah and 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 the panel well the panel was also in salt lake city and i you know i didn't want to start stepping on people i'm like you know this is a very christian city for all i know they're gonna you know burn me at the stake by the end of the weekend um so there was something. There was a question that someone posted, that someone posed, you know, in the Q and A. Yeah. And they had an extra long Q and A because of this dude. And to this day, I can't tell you what his name was. Okay. But because of this dude, they had an extra long Q and A.
1: People need to go and look on the Google now and find out. I, on the I
2: it was Salt Lake Comic Con twenty six March twenty sixteen. It was an author panel, and yeah, and that's all I can remember. And there was like seven. Panelists, I might have been the eighth
1: okay. there was
2: a very uh, large group of panelists, and they were all novelists except me and uh
1: so you were the special one. all right
2: I wasn't no, I <laughs> wasn't supposed to be there like it was like that scene from clerks. I'm not even supposed to be here today <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be Great I don't know why i I don't even know why I was there. I think it's because I was a, I was a special guest of the convention and they were like, well, we gotta throw her on something. Um, so somebody asked a question and it was a general, they looking right at this dude, but it was a general question. And I jumped in, I was like, I am not getting off of this panel without giving my opinion on something. Right. And I like literally, and he and I were sharing a mic and I almost jumped in his lap to get in front of that <laughs> microphone. And I was just like, Whoa, and, I, and it was a question about character. And so I was talking about how character is very important um but in my opinion storytelling is three things it's character it's world and it's plot and they have to be in coordination with each other they have to service each other and it has to be like a recycling logo you know they've got to go one to the other to the other um and i know that a mistake a lot of young writers do and you know and especially on passion projects you will get so focused on one of those three that the other two are going to fall to the wayside and, and, yeah. and get much weaker.
0: Yeah.
2: Um and so I finally got like my 92nd spiel out and everybody on the panel was like, oh, it was apocryphal that I spoke. And he turns and he lean any he, any he, and he's not and I'm not paying attention cuz I'm looking right at that person who asked that question. I was like, "You yeah. asked this question to me." Yeah. And I And he apparently is, you know, nodding at what I'm saying, and then everybody else
0: starts nodding.
2: Now starts (laughs) nodding, and it was, I mean, it was like lemmings. Do you remember that old game lemmings? It was like, you know, it was lemmings. It was that's exactly what it was. (laughs) And when I leaned back from the mic because I was like, yeah. Said my piece. I was like, I wanted to <laughs> jump up in the air and do like the fist pump, like at the end of like Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I leaned back and I was like, <sighs> like I did it. And he take he leans in and he takes my keys, everything she said is absolutely correct. Everything she said. He's like, I, I have nothing to add to that. That was that was perfect. And I'm like, Yeah.
1: Yeah, you go person, and, I don't know.
2: <laughs> and then when the panel was over. Um, I stood up. I said, thank you very much. I shook his hand. He's like, it was it was great meeting you. I mean, you were so insightful. Thank you. Still have no clue who he was. And as I was leaving all the lemmings. Oh, it was so nice to meet you. You know, it's so funny. I think it's so difficult to write comics because, you know, you have such little real estate. You only have like what, like 20 pages or something. It's so tough to tell a story, a compelling story in 20 pages. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't read novels. And then I just walked away. (laughs) Oh, But it's the truth. I don't read novels because I I, I'm not illiterate, but I'm kind of close to it at this point. Um, But yeah, it was just the most bizarre experience. And I really wish I knew who this dude was, because I would like to say thank you, by the way, for being, you know, a cisgender 60 year old white dude and saying that I was right. That was very kind of you Um, uh, on this like bleach Clorox panel of all the white people. Um, I was like, but, you know, you might want to smack some of your uh, your your lemmings, your your followers <laughs> into, you know, like they were like practically bowing to him, like wanting to be his serfs. It was insane. Wow. And I was just like, OK, OK, yeah, well, uh, peace out. I was like, I got a table to man. I got I got to make some money this weekend.
3: Got to well, go. Now I'm
1: really curious who that was and who was on. I the don't panel. know who it was. And ho- hopefully I none of no the people idea. that were those people are have I can't imagine anyone I've ever had on would be like that because almost all of them have uh, don't have views like that. So I'm I'm guessing. uh, I I mean,
2: this was this was 2016. So it wasn't like not everything was was comics on uh, on streamers and stuff. So like now I think comics creators get just hint more respect on these author panels, especially I mean, also a lot of comic creators are writing novels and things like that. Like, yeah chuck wendig and alex segura um and you know like uh leah thompson delilah dawson you know i mean a lot of a lot of people are are sort of crossing over i don't because it's too many words i can't do it um but i'm happy staying in my lane yeah so yeah so if anybody finds out tweet me and tell me who the dude was if you could
1: i'm really i'm 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 super curious now i'm super curious because that's
2: I don't still that's, have the, I that's don't a great have a story though. Yeah. I, I was, it, it was just very, it was almost like dominoes falling and everybody's <laughs> like head was just like, T-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t. you know? And I, like I said, I almost jumped in his lap to get to that microphone. I was like, it's mine. I'm
1: answering this question. Do you, you want know? to speak any more on how the industry has changed in the last 20 years? And, 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 You know, especially from your point of view, I mean, there's there's like you you just mentioned, there's a lot of people. But on that on that note, you know, I can only imagine that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was very much a boys club uh, in the industry. But
2: see, that's the thing is I to a certain extent, it's always been a boys club. And to a certain extent, it probably will always be a boys club if you're talking about American superhero comics when you're talking about web comics when you're talking about manga when you're talking about european comics it is a much broader demographic um one of the things that i find very interesting whenever i'm on a women in comics panel which is great we're a novelty can we not be a novelty but that's just my opinion i know some people would disagree with that you know one hack's opinion yeah um is that women have always been in comics from the absolute beginning the difference is getting our names on the covers women have been in editorial positions women have been in bullpen positions women have been in uh doing the art women i mean ramona frayden is 96 years old i mean come on you're telling me she hasn't been there at the dawn of comics she's older (laughs) than captain america yeah you know so there are women have always been there it's i think the biggest thing is getting your name on the cover of the comic you know as opposed to in the credits yeah whether it's editorial colors you know i i Chrissy Shegel i i i I know I'm mispronouncing but Chrissy uh, Schiegel, Shigel Lynn Varley these are colorists that were working in the 70s and 80s uh uh in comics You know lynn varley especially you know frank miller's ex-wife i mean lynn varley was the one who colored uh 300 and you know i mean come on you're telling me you don't know that name i mean yes now we have laura martin and we have these these other like fantastic colorists that are um you know really like you know big name people but it's a matter of getting the name on the cover. And I think that's really what people talk about when they say women in comics. Okay. Because I've been on panels with Louise Simonson. I've been on panels um, you know, with Ramona Fraden. I've been on panels with these women who have been there from the beginning. Um, and their attitude is like, we've always been here. But I think the the disconnect is, yeah, you've always been there, in a role that is not 100 in the forefront
1: yeah and, I and re- that recognition
2: you're not giving the, that recognition but also you're i mean they're not interviewing women for things you know now you'll get women on podcasts now you'll get uh, uh people who are not your typical white dudes on podcasts and such Back then they didn't have that. Like you're not interviewing a woman on radio about Marvel comics. Although I don't think they were you know, interviewing even right. Stan about right. Tom timely comics on the radio. Right. Um, so I think that's the thing, um, the women in comics panels, I, I do them and that's fine. And you know, sometimes that's the only panel that I'm on. So I'm please I'm not disparaging them convention cause you know, I need, I need the press.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but it is kind of like a novelty kind of thing um at the same time there are plenty of people that will go to a women in comics panel or a non-dude in comics panel you know and um and be very inspired by that and for those few people that that get inspired by it then you know sure let's do this because that is the next voice, the next voice that you don't want to be you don't want to not silence, but you don't want to, um, by not being open, you don't want to um make it appear as if they don't have a path. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, totally. For sure. What um what drew you when you were younger? What drew you into the comics more, the writing or the art? As compared to obviously now you do do a lot of the writing. Was there was there a one just over the other? Storytelling.
2: Just the story No, it was telling. just storytelling. Okay storytelling in general um whether it's you know i would write short stories i would draw comics when i i mean what kid didn't yeah you know um it was funny i was reading an article because the oscars just happened i was reading an article about somebody said something about the fablemans and they said oh big deal you you made movies when you were a kid what kid didn't um <laughs> i was like that's spielberg you're talking about
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: No wonder this this interview was an anonymous source. Yeah, um, but you know, I mean, I, I I did what any kid did. I I, I told stories. I thought of imaginary worlds. Um, the only difference is, you know, forty years later, I I found a way to make it into a career, uh, whereas, you know, a lot of times. Like we said before, you know, a lot of people do comics on the side and they have, you know, their career, they have their full-time gig. Great. Um, But storytelling in general, the idea of bringing an audience, the idea of being a reader and being brought in, and then the idea of being able to create a world or a story if it exists in, in the regular world and bringing someone in. Oh, that's sorry, it's a little squeak. That's all right. Um so I'm just gonna slightly be out of frame to make sure that he's happy and he doesn't start nipping my ankles.
0: That's all right.
2: Um <laughs> and and that I think is just very appealing to me. Um, because I think I think it's it's transportive. I think it's transformative. I think it's I think if if you go to a movie theater and you see a film that opens your eyes or you read a book that takes you someplace you never thought you would ever be i think that's important because even though you're not physically going to bangkok or malaysia or you know moscow or wherever you're being brought there kind of like astrally projecting yourself through your imagination yeah which i think is kind of cool it's very powerful.
1: Yeah. When you're coming up with these stories and you're working with artists, how do you communicate like what you want versus what the artist has to make that vision come to light?
2: It's, it's not a matter of what I want. Um, when I am working on say X 23 or Hallow's Eve or something, y- you are working, you're working on a licensed character. You're working, you're doing work for hire, um, you turn around and you uh, you give your scripts and your editor sort of guides you because your editor, anything with big two is, you know, they have basically what they know. They know what's going to happen, you know, six to 10 to 14 months, if not more in advance. Yeah. So they will guide you to make sure that the story that you're telling isn't going to, uh, in any way, create speed bumps for continuity down the road. Um, so, it, when it comes to that, it's a matter of 99% of the time, the editor is picking the artist, the editor is picking the cover artist. I mean, I can make suggestions and I can say, reach out to this person, reach out to that person, loved working with this person, you know, kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I'm not. Such a top tier that the editor is going to be like, oh yes, we're going to work with so and so. No, it's like, all right, cool. You want to work with these people? We'll check their schedules. And ninety nine percent of the time, it's they don't even check the schedules. Probably they're probably just like, eh, we can get so and so. Let's get so and so. Yeah. Um. And when I'm doing an indie work, I don't look at it as I wrote the script, so you have to draw it. Your artist is not your um is not your employee at all your artist is your collaborator and what i always say to the artist is look i like there's there's beats of information you know breadcrumbs that we're giving to the audience so every page has to convey a certain amount of information if you if i write five panels but you can convey the same information in four do it. If you feel that you need an extra panel, do it. Because I always do a lettering pass. I always look at the art, go back to the script and see what needs to be tweaked because the artist may draw a, an expression might draw a, uh, just some, some little facial tick that's going to influence the dialogue. If you don't do a lettering pass and you just take the script as is and just throw it on the art without trying to marry it properly to the art it's going to be pretty obvious okay uh you want this to look seamless you don't want it to look like slapdash you don't want it to look like i'm a writer and i write this and you're the artist and you're going to draw that and you're the letter and you're going to letter that no it has to come together like building a good comic is like building a good sandwich like every layer has to complement the other and yeah. elevate it yeah you know
1: yeah for sure do you have an artist that you like to work with a lot or a couple artists that you were like I, this is who i'm gonna get because they've always been awesome
2: well i have a cover artist i usually go to natasha alterici is phenomenal if you have not read her work heathen from vaults please do um, I've been doing uh, getting some covers from Skylar Patridge, another phenomenal artist. Um, uh, I th- I mean, I've worked with a couple of artists more than once. I, I worked with uh, Vicente Alcazar, who we did M3, which was our first comic together. We did a couple of, um, of comics together. Uh, I think it's because we had worked together, people would come to me and be like, oh, I have a screenplay I want to adapt into a comic. Uh, do you have an artist? And I'd be like, well, I just finished working with him, you know, come on in. Um, so I've worked with Vicente many times. Um, but I've also um I mean Marica Cresta, who did Forgotten Home with me, was fantastic. Uh Carola Borelli, who did uh Delice Bouquet is fantastic. Um, you know, Amagoya Aguirre, who's currently working with me on Christabel is amazing. Um Edgar Salazar who did um X23, great guy. I, I got to work with David Lopez on a moon Knight short. I mean, I it's it's an embarrassment of riches, the the uh, incredible talents that I've worked with. Um uh Mike Dowling is the interior artist and he's doing the A covers for um uh for Hallows Eve. He's great to work with too. Um, so I really, you know, I'm I'm very, very lucky uh that the artists that I'm working with are so just collaborative. And, uh, I met Edgar Salazar at San Diego comic-con last year. And, uh, he said to me, he goes, you have an art background, don't you? And I was like, well, you know, I worked at an art studio because I, I don't like telling people I worked at an art studio because then they they're, they're going to think, Oh, you can draw it. I am, I am a serviceable artist. I am not a good artist. And I know, I know which lane to stay in.
3: <laughs>
2: um, you know, so, I mean, I'll do like on Christabel, I'm doing color flats to help out Amagoya. And, you know, I'm doing you know, I've done plenty of lettering and things like that. So I don't just write. I mean, I do what needs to be done.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm kind of like the caulk that fills in all the cracks. Um, but I'm not gonna go out there and start drawing figures because I I know my limitations and I'm fine with that. Yeah. And I, I don't have the the time nor the inclination to start drawing every day and to get back to a uh, uh to a proficiency where I need to be. I, I don't I don't have the inclination to do that. If I was maybe 10 years younger, maybe I'd say, you know what, screw it. Let me let me do this. Um I I don't feel like I need to do that. There there's a plenty of incredible artists that I have worked with and that um I hopefully will have the opportunity to work with uh that are, are gonna do a much better job than I will. So
1: Let's let's talk about a couple of your comics, shall we? Sure. Which ones do you want to talk about? Well you've you've got a lot of really good ones. Uh, well, thank you. So I try not
2: to have a I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a couple of stinkers in there, but
1: when I, so when I'm going through and I, I obviously I, I can't say I've read everything you've done. But I was which going through fine. and I was looking at I covers. haven't read
2: everything I've done. I told you I'm
1: illiterate. <laughs> so Tell me a little bit about the Legacy of Mandrake the Magician, because every time I see that cover, I go, the one that I have on my, uh, that I've been posting, I go, this is such a gorgeous looking comic book, and it looks so intriguing (laughs) and so fun. Tell me me about it.
2: Okay, Amelia Vidal Mm -hmm. did the covers for Legacy of Mandrake. And Amelia's big time now, because they're working on they were working on what if season one and now they're working on what if season two so much big time that when I reached out to say, Hey, could you do covers? I can't, I'm too busy. I'd love to work with you, but I can't. So Amelia's big time. All right. big time. Um, but fantastic. Yeah. We're not going to go into the whole like Peter Gabriel big time.
1: Um, <laughs> Great reference. Uh, I just want but, you on here to make references for me from here on out. Oh yeah i I am a reference. walking
2: I am a walking verbal meme um <laughs> so uh, so yeah, she's fantastic. Um our interior artist, um, I was working with a I get for lack of a better term, I think he was like a rep. So I didn't really get to talk to the artist. I was like talking to one person who was then coordinating with the artist, okay so diego who was the artist i don't think i've ever actually had a conversation with diego simply because there was this sort of middleman
0: okay
2: and i i mean a lot of people have reps i mean that's that's fine it was just to me it was a little odd because i'm so used to talking directly to the artist also whenever you have another person in the mix you get like sometimes you get the telephone the game of telephone um but i was reached someone reached out to me um about doing a legacy of mandrake and i had been familiar who mandrake the magician was um but i was like if you look at that old old mandrakes the Lee Falk stuff i mean some of it's a little icky um because it's very dated yeah. and um so i i was reach, you know someone reached out to me about doing it and i said you know if if I were to be brought onto to this, uh, it sounds interesting. But if I were to be brought onto to this, um, there's a lot of things. I know you want to reference a lot of the old stuff, you know, for old, long-time fans. But there's a lot of stuff we cannot go anywhere near. And I refuse to go anywhere near.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and they said, no, we get it. We totally understand. Um, they had already had some ideas of where they wanted the story to go. Okay because I think this studio had been developing it. And so when they came to me, they kind of gave me some sort of half-baked stuff. And I kind of like looked through that and said, all right, I can work with this. I can work with that. Let, let's add in this. And it's, you know, it's, it's like baking a cake, you know, are you going to you know use a can of Coca-Cola? Or are you going to use, you know, canola oil? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: Two completely different things.
2: (laughs) No, well, I I don't know if you've there's like a Coca-Cola recipe book, and you could like put a can of Coca-Cola in your cake batter.
1: I I know people have used it for cake, but other like other things, yeah. In, you mean in place of, well, that's beside the point.
2: <laughs> I don't know if it's in place. I'm not the baker, but oh, okay. I don't know if it's in place, but I do know that like, there are some people that'll be like, oh, we'll add a little dash of vanilla. And somebody's like, screw it. We're going to put a can of Coke in there and, you know, flavor or cherry Coke. Cause I, yeah. I, know there's like a cherry Coke cake or something. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's mom made it for a group, you know, a, a birthday party or graduation party 30 years ago. I, re- <laughs> I just remember that. And just being like, it's cherry Coke in a cake. Which is what I know. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they came to me with kind of like half baked ideas. And and I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean, it's just like they had, well, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do that, you know, whatever. And I sort of, you know, picked and chose what I liked from each of them and, and, and tried to sort of streamline it into a co- coherent story.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so we did an online exclusive story that was like an oversized 32, 34 page story, and then and the problem was that that story wasn't released in print, and then we did the four issues we did a four issue mini series that didn't a hundred percent tie back to that story, but it hinted at it and there was a weird way and and this is where it comes down to the game of telephone there was uh, the release dates didn't really work out so much, so okay. issue number one came out before issue number zero okay. And not all of the reviewers were really kind. <laughs> put it nicely. Oh no. Like, like it was like, what the hell is she referencing? Like, what is she talking about? Because I would have like a little asterisk with like a little call out saying, you know, check out issue number zero. And people were like, What's issue number zero? Uh, so it was it was not a, not too great, what probably wasn't my best reviews, but when the trade came out, and it came out in print they printed issue the zero issue with it okay so um so it reads much better when you read the trade um but i mean it was a fun story it was uh it's like ya you know magic and you know kids just being kids like the way i the way i sort of log lined it was you know mandy is a typical teenager Who's who has to navigate high school, college applications, and these weird zombie creatures kidnapping people in her small town. Okay, and that's basically it. So she you know has to she's deal with all that. Yeah. So she's so we've got you know the teenage drama. Yeah. And we've got the you know sneaking into the high school late at night because. You know, you've cast a spell, a tracking spell on somebody, and they disappeared three days ago, and all of a sudden your tracking spell is, you know, picking up in the old gymnasium.
1: Okay. Nice. That's great. So, you've also done comic books, and we'll, I'll just touch on them a little bit here because we want to talk about some of your upcoming stuff. Um, you've done some TV tie in comics, Xena, Charm. Yes,
2: I did Xena and Charm. Yes.
1: Uh, wasn't Secrets Revenge. of Emily Thorne, wasn't the Secrets of Emily Thorne something that was TV related as well?
2: Yes. There was a TV show. It was actually my first Marvel work. It was a show called Revenge. It was on ABC and was the first Marvel work I had. I wrote the uh the OGN uh prequel to the first season. And that was a weird situation because I was co writing, kind of co writing with one of the producers and writers of the show. Marvel was cutting the checks, but abc was giving me my marching orders and not everybody in tv really understands how comics work (laughs) right uh so I, i i there was a part of me that was like i know i'm not super experienced in this yet but i know they don't know what they're talking about right and i mean i that's that's far worse i mean i'm editorializing that's far worse than it was but you know, there are uh, sometimes and, and and since then, I mean, I've dealt with plenty of people who are in television and film and they don't get like the process of comics because, you know, uh, TV and film are made in the edit in the editing suite. You know, right. you shoot all this coverage and then you cut together the story, whereas comics, you've got to get your script down and then that's what gets drawn like you can't. It's not like storyboarding. Yeah. You know, where every frame is the same size. Yeah. You know. Um, so I've, I've had, I've run up against that multiple times with clients, uh, who are film clients or television clients and trying to explain and explain again, and then tell (laughs) the editor, you know, they'll bring an editor in and then you tell the editor, please, for the love of God, explain it to them. And they'll say, I have, and they don't get it. Um, you know, so I, I always suggest there was a great article that NPR did, There was a group of people for NPR money, I think it was, and they wanted to throw together a comic and they thought that it was going to be easy and they realized that it was going to be hard. And I mean, God bless them for thinking that it was going to be easy, but God bless them more for turning around and saying, you know what, we messed up and we're going to write this article about how we messed up all of our misconceptions. And, you know, they basically said, here's egg on our face. (laughs) Learn from our mistakes. So every time I work with uh, someone who's in TV or film and have never done comics before and have absolutely no clue and are totally pushing back on everything that I'm saying about, no, this is there's a very specific pipeline. There's a very specific process. You can't, you're putting the cart before the horse in every one of those idioms. I send them this NPR article. I'm like, read this. Uh, it still doesn't make a
1: difference. <laughs> How did I know you were going to say that? But it still doesn't. I knew it.
2: Well, you know, it's funny, though, because in any creative pursuit, it, you know, you know how they say you've got the two wolves inside of you, whatever. In any creative pursuit you're dealing with, this is the greatest thing I've ever created. I'm right. And this is garbage and it's going to fail and I'm horrible. And those yeah. are the two wolves that are at least inside me. Um, and when you're coming up against television or film people, they have the same idea of, I know what I know, and I know that this is a story that I want to tell, whether or not that story, that story may be telegenic, that story might not do well in comics. Here's a case point. Did you see the film Ad Astra? I did not. Okay. Ad Astra, I think would have made a great comic because There are a lot of scenes where it is basically just BO of Brad Pitt's character, not necessarily narrating, but talking about his feelings. It's all like inner monologue. Not all of it, obviously. But a good portion is inner monologue. And you could have taken 10 minutes of all this inner monologue stuff and done just a splash page of space and just captions, because I didn't think that that film was very telegenic. It wasn't very interesting to watch, but it would have been interesting to read as a comic visually, I think,
0: okay.
2: Um, I, you know, there are many people that could probably disagree with me and that's fine, but some concepts don't always work in the medium that you want to put them in. And unfortunately there is this. you know, ill-conceived notion that a comic book is a storyboard and it's not Yeah, because if you've ever worked in advertising, you've ever worked in film, you've ever worked in television, your storyboard is your guide. Your storyboard is not your gospel. Right. And if you ever watch any of the behind the scenes moments of films or TV, you'll see the storyboard is up and you will literally see the director or one of the writers start moving things around. Yeah. You can't do that in comics because whereas in television or film you have a fixed aspect, okay? You have a horizontal panel. Okay? In comics, you can have horizontal panels, you can have vertical panels, you could have splash which is vertical. You could have square panels, circle panels, triangle panels, any kind yeah. of panels you Explosive want. Explosive little star panels. Explosive little little star panels, anything you want. You could have diagonal panels. I mean, look at the the double page spread in Hollow's Eve number one um, that uh, Mike Dowling did. I mean, you've got Hollow's Eve going diagonally across, and you have all these panels of random sizes and 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 random angles. You can't do that in film. I mean, unless you do the whole like Hulk incredible Hulk Ang Lee, where you have panels coming in and, and you know, panning and tilting and everything. Um, but a lot of times because they are so focused on this aspect you know 1920 by 1080 basically which is your HD mm-hmm. they can't see anything outside of that and they think oh you just draw a bunch of widescreen panels and then we'll just move them around doesn't work like that yeah you know and also i mean when you are writing television you are if you're writing broadcast you're writing for the commercial break uh if you're writing for comics you're writing for the page turn and pacing is very different you know a, a 20-page comic if you have a 20-page teleplay for a, a, a sitcom 22 pages or whatever yeah that's supposed to be one page per minute a 20-page comic is not a 20-page is not a 20-minute read it could be a longer read it could be a shorter read Um. And that's something that I kind of had, like, I remember writing a 20 page, a 22 paged comic. And uh, one of the TV people said, this was too short of a read. It's 22 pages. It should be 22 minutes. And I'm like, it's not how comics work.
1: Right. (laughs) You know, and and, it'll take them 22 minutes maybe to read it if they want (laughs) to.
2: Yeah. If you want to pour over the art, which you should be doing to Mm -hmm. begin with. But you could have a twenty-two page comic that takes you forty-five minutes to read. If you have one of these like giant double splash, you know Brian Hitch, uh, um, you know backgrounds with four thousand characters, or this, like, or Scott Koblish just did this, you know I think it's like three or four connecting covers of like seven hundred characters for Fantastic Four kind of thing. Yeah, that's like a four-hour read. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because you're sitting there with like you know, with the glasses off, like trying to look at every single person. Yeah,
1: see whoever, who's in there, the little cameos, Who's in there? Yeah,
2: exactly. It's like, oh, there's Mole Man, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. Um, But it doesn't, it doesn't always, um, it doesn't always translate the same thing. And, And getting back to the sort of the two wolves is, you know, a lot of times people will know their medium very, very well. And they will assume that that trumps everything else. Yeah. And so, you know, they'll come in and be like, well, I know what to do. It's like, yeah, if you're making a film, I'm not stepping on your toes. You're making a comic. You kind of got to you have to check your ego. And it's very difficult to. And I'm the first person to admit this. I am like the biggest narcissist and like the worst enemy of myself in the world at the same time. It's like this is the greatest thing ever. You're a failure. Yeah. You know, but those are the two wolves and you're dealing with that with creative people. And what I found a lot of times, especially when I was teaching. Is people will come to you with a script or come to you with a comic and they do not want a critique. They want an endorsement. Um, and it doesn't matter whether
1: you don't learn that way.
2: People don't. <laughs> you think people want to learn? <laughs> people don't want to learn. People want to be told that their pursuit is viable, but also that their pursuit is, um, what's the word? Transformative. You know, this isn't just a comic. This changed
0: this my life. This is the
2: greatest comic I've ever read in my entire life. Right. You know, they don't want honesty. Without understanding that, Art, which comics, whether it's the writing or or the the um the coloring the you know the line work whatever, it is all artist subjective yeah yes, there are technical parts to it, but art subjective there are some very popular artists that sell really well that I cannot look at their art there's something about it I just it just doesn't resonate with me does that mean that they're bad artists no, no it just means that I. Cannot resonate with that. It doesn't. It doesn't hit my my funny bone. Whereas there are other people. I'll have a conversation and be like, "This is the greatest book I've ever read. You need to pick up so and so." And I'm like, "Oh, you know, I picked up the their other thing, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the art. Is the art? Is there a different artist on it? Or?" And they're like, right. "No." It's like, eh, well, you know, you enjoy it, and that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I've, I've know, been there
1: myself plenty of times where it's like I I, I read something, and they're like, I'm like yeah and they're like no but this is so amazing but there are also other times where i've looked at something uh, uh a great one was the um the uh, hawkeye series that the that the series was based off of i looked at it and i was like meh and they're like no just give it a, give it a shot and i'm like i looked through it and they're like no just sit down and read it i was like okay you're my friend i'll sit down and read it and i got through it and i was like this is and it became like my favorite and then the series happened i was like i can't wait till that series comes out because it's oh, looks the, like they're the taking david some... aja and,
2: and matt fraction yeah
1: yeah yeah and i was like that was just that was so great and but it wasn't my type like that's not my type of art that's not the type of art i personally like to look at but then when i got to it and i saw how the how the story was written it worked really well with the art and it changed my entire perspective
2: yeah, I mean, there are certain things that there are there are creators because writers and artists, there are creators that I've read some, you know, some of their stuff. And I'm like, meh. I've read other stuff and I'm like, wow, they did really well on this. I don't. Is this an outlier or is the stuff that I really liked to the outlier, you know, back and yeah. forth kind of thing? Um, and I always try and give everything uh, I always try and give everything a try. There are very few creators that I'll be like, I'm not picking this up because every time I pick up their book, I I'm disappointed. <laughs> or there are other creators that are like, I have to pick this up because every time I pick up this book, I I it's the great, it's greater than the last book I read.
1: By yeah, me. we should talk about picking up a book. We should talk about picking up. You've got a couple books what, coming which up. Which books? Right?
2: Which book do you want to pick up?
1: You've you've got you've got uh, Deadly's Bouquet trade paperback coming out. April 19th right yes um and then you've got Hollow's Eve number two and x23 are both coming out April 12th right
2: yes from Marvel and uh Deadliest Bouquet is coming out from image
1: okay so people can go and check those out. um and also you've got a Kickstarter you're going to be working on here pretty soon right
2: Yes. uh, March 28th, we are launching a Kickstarter for a story called Christabel. Um, In uh, 1797, Samuel Taylor Coleridge wrote a poem called Christabel, and it was supposed to be five parts. And he only wrote two of them. And I have been obsessed with this poem since my sophomore year in college. And my English major is showing, and that is fine. <laughs> um, so it, there's basically two poems from... Uh, I, I, I studied uh, British Romantic poetry. That was my concentration. You want to talk about getting esoteric? <laughs> you know, in Xanadu de Cuplacan, a, a Pleasure Dome Decree. Um, and I, there are two poems that have really haunted me. And the other one I'm doing, uh, I've been writing a, a sci-fi adaptation of. Of a, a poem by Robert Browning from 1836. Um, but this Christabel poem was really interesting because there were these five parts planned, and it's an epic poem, so it does tell a very um a very long story.
0: Okay.
2: And um the legend goes that Coleridge was uh Coleridge and and Williams Wordsworth were writing partners. They were writing a series of books called Lyrical Ballads. And, uh, the, I think the first edition had the first part of Christabel, the second edition at the second, but the legend goes that, uh, Wordsworth basically said to Coleridge, I don't think that this poem is really up to our standards or the standards that people expect of us. And that kind of gave Coleridge, you know, stage fright. And so he never finished parts three, four, and five. Um, the problem is, is that and it, it's on this giant cliffhanger, and uh, nobody that I've, you know, no research that I've done and the people that I've spoken to have ever turned up, so much as an outline for three, four, five. So nobody knows where the story was going to go.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and if there are any college scholars out there, and if you know of an outline of three, four, five, three, four, and five please let me know. I would love to, to look at it at least. Like if there's like scans and stuff, I would love to take a look. Yeah. But nobody has really come across, because you know how they, they, they'll they come across the letters and the folios of, you know, a famous uh, yeah. creator. Yeah. And, and they'd be like, oh, look at it. You know, I haven't heard about anybody coming across any of this stuff. And I could be totally wrong. I'm not an academic, but nobody I've spoken to has heard of it. So I have been milling in my head what could happen? And so what I decided to do was, you know what? i I have a platform, and I have a a career that is literally making things up. yeah so uh, I took the foundation of the first two parts of this of the story. There are a few things that I changed, like in the comic uh, in the comic, excuse me, in the poem. um, her father is a baron and in the comic her father is a king so i've you know add i've and she's like a a noble a, a young noble woman but she's not a princess and in our comic because her father's a king she's a princess so i i you know changed a few yeah. things up but the main core story is still there and so what we did was we brought the story into 10 years after the initial meeting, She Christabel's a young woman, and she meets this other young woman who's a few years older named Geraldine. And um, we take the story 10 years after that meeting, because in the poem, you start getting these interesting sense of like Geraldine, she might be a witch, she might be a sorceress, there's something not so right with her. So what happened 10 years later? Well, 10 years later, Christabel, because Geraldine is a witch and a sorceress, has bewitched her father and Christabel has been banished. Oh. So when we start, you've got 25-year-old Christabel instead of, you know, 14, 15-year-old. Yeah. You know, uh, working as a mercenary and a bounty hunter. Okay. Um, So a far cry from where we first meet her. Yeah. Yeah. And especially a far cry from when we meet her in the poem. And she has a singular purpose, and that is survival. And her secondary purpose is, I'm going to scour the six territories to find anything to kill this witch to go home. Because yeah. there's no way that she's going to be let back home with yeah. that woman still in the house. Yeah. Um, and along the way... Other people who have been carrying for Geraldine uh, have also uh, she, one of the major players is this knight who who used to be a knight in her father's court. And he was very close to her father. They were almost like brothers. Okay. And Geraldine turns the king against him. Oh. So a few years after Christabel's banished, he is then banished and he's looking for her he can't find her and then he is literally um he is uh set to begging because he has nothing left so you have this princess who's not you know the finest of things but you know living one life and then forced to live another you have this very noble dignified knight forced to literally beg on the streets and they end up finding each other and it is a it is a redemption for each other because she was upset with him that he didn't fight harder when she was getting banished and yeah. you know it's it's just sort of they sort of reinforce each other uh so we get like a third of the way through the story and you see that she's you know down on our luck and then when she finds her friend with it's like okay now she has new People. life in her
0: yeah
2: um And then they end up meeting a third person named Roland that sort of brings into their little, you know, trio. And it's like, all right, we've got our people. And that's the end of volume one. Uh, and you know, they're, they have their mission and their mission is, we're going to go find something and we're going to kill this witch. Nice. So, yeah, so I've outlined, I've outlined volumes two and three. We're doing the Kickstarter on uh, March 28th for volume one, which is a 60 page story. It'll be about 70 Two to seventy-six pages, um, uh, with back matter and stuff.
1: Yeah, and for those that are listening, you can go to Kickstarter.com/backslash/projects/backslash/Erica Schultz writes/backslash/Christabel and Christabel-volume-one. Uh, but you can just yes. look up Erica Schultz writes on there as well, and just follow, and you'll get everything. Or on Twitter and all of uh, all of the social medias, Twitter and Instagram, which we'll talk about here in a second. So. Um, yeah, do you know what you um, do you have like a plan? Do you like, is it for the full, the full run of the story? Is that what the Kickstarter is for? What are you going to do for like, do you have stretch goal plans or? I have stretch kind of goal
2: plans. I do. I have stretch goal plans. Um, one of the stretch goal plans is, uh, which is, I mean, part of me thinks it's like really kitschy and funny, but another part of, I, I have a friend who's helping with the Kickstarter, uh, Jaslyn Stone, who's a fantastic marketer. She might turn around and be like, what the hell are you talking about? So I have, um, I have my original book from college right here. And as you can see, the corners are very worn and (laughs) I, and it's amazing. Bookmarks all um, over the place. Well, these are the little flags from, uh, the little, um, whatchamacallit flags, uh, post-it flags. Yeah. And it's so old that the glue is kind of like, like they're not Not coming off. No, they're not coming off. They're not coming off these pages at all. Because oh, like I'm afraid if I try. Permanently.
1: They're forged yeah, they the pages.
2: They're pretty permanently. And and I have one here that says Christabel. It's difficult to see. But I'm, but it says Christabel. And yep, on the yep. other side, it says Coleridge. And I have my notes in the margins.
1: Oh, wow. There are lots from of notes. For those that are listening, there are a ton of little notes written in the margins.
2: And so one of my one of my kitschy sketch uh, stretch goals, I thought, would be. I would scan these pages in, and I would say, "This is, you know, this is, you know, nineteen, eighteen, nineteen-year-old, Erica's analysis." Yeah. Of this poem, from, ni- when I first, I mean, obviously it's from nineteen. 19- Maybe you shouldn't or, be 17- showing us because now
1: we can see it, and and.
2: Yeah, you can't. You can't really. <laughs> It you just it, see a bunch of like
1: just kidding, yeah. I think that's cool little like colorful,
2: you know, things. Um, but you know, I mean, to me, that was always that's always kind of a fun thing to do because like process pages and things like that in the back of books, I think, are, are, are always really fun simply because, um, you can sort of watch the wheels turn
3: yeah. and
2: sort of see how things progressed. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, I'm sure there are some analyses here that academics would be appalled by, uh, but I have not changed them. But those academics
1: aren't writing an awesome comic book series, so they can, they can just be appalled and walk away and go sign up on the Kickstarter, right?
2: (laughs) I mean, but it's funny though, because it's, you know, I haven't, I've reread these, but I haven't changed them. I haven't added to them since 1996 wow so it is like as raw as raw can get and there's a part of me that's like ooh, go and i'm like nope don't don't
1: you know you could could just get a fresh copy and without looking at those notes go through and write some notes and then compare like your now and then notes
2: I don't know. I mean, like this, there's literally like stains on this book. (laughs) Like there are literal stains on, I mean, look at the edges of this book.
1: That's a well-worn book. That's a well-loved book.
2: This is a, the Norton's Anthology of English Literature. This is a very, well, sixth edition, volume two. I have volume one on the, uh, on, on the, you know, uh, the shelf in the back, but this is a very well-worn book um, and with all my little notes. Yeah. Um, and I think that, oh, my God, is that actually a receipt from back in the day? Is that is that a receipt? That's it's a
1: blockbuster a receipt. receipt for those no, that... <laughs> it's. A,
2: I'm not joking. It's Sprint. Oh, my God. It's a receipt from my Sprint, my Sprint phone bill that we had Sprint in college. Wow. And what's written on it? What it says, oh, Wordsworth, we are seven. Yes. Yes, it is a Sprint receipt.
1: The best way to Uh, take notes. I I need a piece of paper. I need a piece of paper. Rip off an envelope envelope or a receipt. Yeah.
2: It literally is part of the the security envelope. It's part of a security (laughs) envelope from Sprint.
1: That's great. I love it. So
2: there you go. Wordsworth, we are seven. Yes. A simple child that lately draws its breath. There you go. Uh, I
1: love it. Uh, You've got some upcoming uh, appearances. You're going to be at the comic shop in Wilmington, Delaware on March 22nd. Yes.
3: Uh, Doing you'll the, be at
1: the London film and comics con in July 7th and 9th. And there's some other that are kind of still pending. Yes.
2: Still pending. Yes. I am waiting to hear about dragon con and I'm waiting to hear about New York comic con. Um, but I, I will be at New York comic con come hell or high water, whether I have a table or not, I will be there.
1: <laughs> awesome.
2: If I have to like stand outside with a picket sign, I will be there.
1: Great. 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 So people that are listening and watching, you can go ahead and, Check out Erica Schultz at all of those locations. Go to our website, uh, which I have right here in front of me. It's EricaSchultzWrites.com. So go and check out all of her works, all of her stuff that we mentioned earlier. Uh, amazing comics. You have some amazing artists that work with you. Uh, you can be found on Twitter, at Schultz 42 and on yep. Instagram, EricaSchultzWrites. Uh, so you can be found there. You post all I'm also
2: of on stuff. Hive uh and spoutable at eric schultz 42 and mastodon at erica schultz 42 at toot.site which just sounds like fart but <laughs> you know toot dot site yes
1: awesome well, but the people you. at
2: mastodon are pretty cool so
1: thank you so much for hanging out stick around uh chat we're going to do some of your q and a's you had some good questions and comments in there so we'll get to those here in a moment uh, i want to tell you about some of our upcoming guests March 13th, we're going to have author Michelle Franklin. She's wrote a bunch of fun books, including the Freywin books, as well as the Monster's Holiday Kids books, uh, such as Werewolves Don't Celebrate Hanukkah, The Orc Who Saved Christmas, and the new book coming out soon, Dragons Don't Celebrate Passover. Uh, That podcast will be available March 14th. April 10th, comic book writer and artist Otis Frampton, known for his Oddly Normal series, has also worked on Star Wars Adventures, uh, the DC Comics kid books, and so many more. That podcast will be available April 11th, so make sure you join us for those episodes. Also, check out our sponsor, HelloFresh. If you like good food and you like to cook, even if you don't and you want to learn something more, uh, you go to HelloFresh.com and use our code poghf one 2212 to get 60% off your first order. Again, HelloFresh.com. Use code P O G H F 1 0 for 60% off your first order. I want to thank all of you for joining us and listening. And thanks again to Erica Schultz for joining us. Make sure to check out her upcoming stuff, including Christabel, Christabel on Kickstarter. <laughs> so please make sure to rate review push all the buttons it helps us and it helps our guests for arca schultz i am nick and thank you all for listening to epic realms well there you are i hope you enjoyed yourselves and i do hope that you come back and join us again for epic realms